Hey guys, welcome to the Magnum Broadcast, episode number 459. I am Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being The Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list of comic books coming out October 6, 2021. Then we follow it up with our weekly rotating main topic, and this week we're actually doing our monthly trade and policy review. This month it was John's pick, so John, what book are you bringing to us? We're doing Batman the White Knight from Sean Murphy, and DC, is it a black label or just DC Comics? Black label. I believe this is a black label, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something else we do every single time uh, we record one of these podcasts is we drink. Uh, Paul, you're starting off with something a little bit different from what John and I have, so tell us what you got first. Well, I got a red IPA, an imperial red IPA. Who knew? It, until you open it and see that, man, it's 8% alcohol by volume. There's uh, another number on here, which doesn't matter, but it says, don't be afraid. Is of it the things. IBUs? Um, it's something that doesn't matter, yeah. <laughs> number on the can that doesn't matter. Uh, don't be afraid of things that go hop in the night. Rich roasted malt flavors haunt the shadows of our Imperial Red IPA. And let me tell you, mm. it's got that nice rich malt on the front. It does deliver. And it's got a good biting hop flavor on the back end. It is just a really nice, rich, deep, dark uh, roasted IPA. I, I'm really enjoying it. I don't know why I haven't liked Nosferatu. It's something that I've... It must have been like when we were first getting into IPAs that we had, and I'm like, oh, I don't like this at all. And I've steered clear of it every season. Now I'm going to steer right into it every season and pick it up, but at least once once per spooky season. Uh, I, it's, one, it, it's one that we've liked in the past, but it was, it was a beer that I liked a lot more on draft. And the bottle... Mm-hmm. Just didn't like match how good it was on draft, but mm. coming out of that can, oh, it's so good! It matches how good it is on draft. Yeah, sixteen ounce Tallboy can on it. This is going to be perfect for uh, this Friday. We uh, our company is going to be renting a, are going to a you know one of these haunted hay rides. But there's they're also <laughs> renting. I'm not doing the haunted hay ride, uh, but we also have like a little like section like with a fire pit and all that that our company has rented at this place. So I'm like, guys, have fun with the Haunted Hayride. I'll be at the fire pit uh, roasting some marshmallows and drinking some Nosferatu. And uh, and yelling screamers. Yep, because I do not like having people touch me or <laughs> jump out in my personal space uh, or be creepy. Or haunted be- Hayrides aren't that bad, though. Ugh. A lot of times you're just sitting on a hayride driving through a guy's field and, like, some guy with a chain runs up and jangles it at you. It'd be like a witch. Be like, oh, how much for the children? I No, I just went to the Blues Brothers. Never mind. <laughs> Maybe they'll have the Blues Brothers. <laughs> uh, what are you drink? Oh, okay. John, uh, what are you drinking? Yeah, you're wearing I, an England shirt. I took I John's recommendations for a beer, so I have the same styles but different beers. Uh, from Torch and Crown Brewing Company, I have their Tenement Pilsner, uh, 4.9%. And this is a really nice Pilsner. Um, 
this is a, a, a company that I actually don't carry in my store, but the salesman of this, my he works for the distributor, was like, I got a couple of these cans. I think you'd like them. And he gave me this, and he gave me the IP or the Oktoberfest that I'll be drinking later. And uh, yeah, he's right. This is a <laughs> this is a really good Pilsner. I really like it. I would be on. Uh, I'll say if the Oktoberfest is also good. I will be on the lookout for this comp- this uh, this beer company because this is just a really really great little beer. Nice. Uh, I am drinking a pilsner as well, and mine's actually going to be a Czech style pilsner coming from Pontoon mm. Brewing uh, out of Georgia, Sandy Springs, Georgia. I was looking for the uh, their location on the side of the can, and this is Czech yourself, and it has like. An otter that looks like Mr. T on it, so it's super cute. Yeah. Um, it's, it's mine has nice. mine has tenement written like that. Oh, mm. oh, okay. Maybe the otter lives in the tenement building. Maybe, uh, but this is fine. Uh, I like that. I said I have I have it written like this, and then it yeah. did not describe what it looks like. Just it looks like it it's on you guys. It looks like it's on a fire escape staircase from a tenement uh, building. Um, this is fine. I'm not absolutely in love with it. It is. A check pill, so it's a little bit lower ABV, um, 4.5%. It, it's light, it's crispy, it's got that kind of bready malt, it's pretty crushable. Um, do I like this more than any of the sideward beers that I had last week? I don't think so, but it's fine. I, I will continue to drink this. Um, I'm more excited for the Oktoberfest that I'll have coming up, so stay tuned for that, dear listener. October. Got to get those Oktoberfests in before Oktoberfest is over. Yeah. Yeah. You you also got to make sure that you get out to the news garden before all the leaves fall on it. Yeah. Then you got to rake up your little all the news clippings. News. (laughs) Because that's the thing that they do. Guys, we have some news. uh, News that I don't understand. So, because I'm not a lawyer. But uh, Marvel is suing. To be able to keep the copyrights away from the families, or the families have sued, like the estates of uh, Steve Ditko, um, Jack Kirby, Jack Kirby, uh, Stanley have, have sued to uh, strike out the copyright of a lot of the characters that they did as work for hire for when they were worked at Marvel, and Marvel is then suing to not let that happen, I guess. I'm not sure. It it seems more like it's a way for them to just make sure they keep and retain those full rights and they don't have to share ownership once the current batch of rights that they have expire. Um, this is something that we've seen companies like Marvel or DC or Disney, frankly, do previously in the past where so much of the stuff that they did was just done. Oh, it's for periodical work. Just slap it out there, put it out there. And then so much of the stuff hit and became a big thing that exists, you know, 60 to 80 years later, that the families of those creators are coming back to the companies to be like, hey, you know, my grandfather or great-grandfather did this work for you guys so long ago, and now they're billion-dollar franchises. Oh, I'm getting a little bit of that cheddar cheese, like, skim it off the top. And, of course, the company's like, no, like, it was done work for hire, like you said, Paul, uh, 
they got paid for the work that they did. They're not entitled to anything else. But now you're kind of getting into trademark with those rights lapsing back, which is what this is all about, to keep those rights from going to the, um, the families of the people that had actually created it. Uh, will we see anything come from this? Probably not. Stuff like this has popped up before, and it looks like it's always just been kind of settled out of court. So it's companies like Disney or Marvel or DC doing like that good faith payment mm-hmm. for everything that their family's done, and then just saying like, "Well, now that we've given you that, you can't you're, come back. You're, you're done. You're cut off." Or you get, you know, like uh, what Schuster is now for the Superman movies. It says Superman. Uh, Thanks to a, a special, like, blah, blah, blah from the family of, you know, Schuster or something like that. So there might be some, you know, making sure that the family gets, the creators get a, a special credit at the very beginning. Which, uh, you know, I think Marvel has done a better job in the Marvel Cinematic Universe of movies. Actually, like, in the end credits, thanking, like, some of the creators of from the, you know, comic book runs that definitely inspired that movie. Like, hey, thanks to... And giving him a call out there. Yeah, wasn't it, like, big news when, like, Bob Finger was, like... Bill. It said created... Bill, Bill Finger. Bill. Well, that's uh, just proves the point. Uh, well, that's mostly because Bob Kane pretty much kept, like, the full rights to that and took all the credit for creating Batman. But his idea was, like, oh, there's a guy that fights crime dressed as a costume. We'll call him Batman. And then Bill Finger kind of like, all right, well let me do the legwork, and then basically created everything else about the character. Pointed ears, the cowl. Yeah, yeah the whole thing. And, and John, I'm sorry, you were saying it wasn't a big deal for when Bill Finger... It was a big deal when it, like, it was one of the Batman movies that it said, like, created by both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that he was actually getting credit. And, yeah, and that's why these things go to court, and I think hopefully it plays out, and you know, I, I hope the families do get some sort of payout because, you know, these things are making billions of dollars. Uh, you'd hope they would get a bonus because you heard, you know, the horror stories of a lot of these artists and uh, creators like dying penniless and without health insurance and just awful situations. And uh, I hope that they get proper credit at the beginning of, of the movies, you know, saying, well, hey. Some more people that will be getting credit are going to be Neil Gaiman, creator of the DC Comics slash Vertigo imprint comic, The Sandman. Because, guys, we got our first actual look at the upcoming Netflix show. And I am so much more excited for this than any other iteration of Sandman. I still haven't listened to that Audible uh, audio presentation, even though I've heard it's really good. Chapter 2, or Act 2, I don't know what they're calling it, uh, coming out shortly. Uh, but yeah, this has everything that I wanted a Sandman teaser trailer to have. But yeah, summoning it's that open, the it's, dream. It's just the opening, the opening of that book. Um, yeah, yeah no, it. it looks good. I, as as soon as this, I saw this popped up, I sent it to the group because I was like, "Well, Chris has got to. I got to make sure Chris sees this right away." Mm-hmm. Um, him being the the big Neil Gaiman fan of the three of us but yeah it was it looks it looks great it looks like they're sinking a good amount of money into this and um yeah i like it i love it uh something else i really loved 
we got our first look at the opening for the, again, Netflix-exclusive live-action Cowboy Bebop. Uh, they had me as soon as they started playing the theme song Tank. Uh, I was just along for the ride. I know there's been a little bit of blowback against this just because, you know, nebbish fanboy nerds are like, oh, well, Faye doesn't look... No, everyone looks fine. Like, this looks great. They had Ayn in there, like, all right, yeah, give me a corgi, yeah. give me some, like, funky jazz and, like, guns and, like, Spike smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm I'm on board. The other the other thing is, like, well, where's Ed? Where's Ed? Ed doesn't even show up to, like, more than halfway through the first season, and then he leaves halfway through the second season. So is that, like, a hugely prominent character? Um, he... He or she is, um, but yeah, it's like no, everything looks good, and yeah, the people who are complaining about Faye just want a half-naked woman running around basically in lingerie, uh, fighting, fighting and shooting a gun. Yeah, I think everything looked great in this uh, style. Everything like it pops. I really, I loved. Cowboy Bebop when I first saw it, which I was probably in my my 20s when I first saw it. Um, And I asked to borrow it from I think you or Tony Orlando, Chris. I never owned it, so it was probably Tony. Um, Because we were were driving around and hanging out with him. We went and raced go-karts and stuff. But he had, like, multiple CDs of the soundtracks, hmm. and he put it in. We were just listening to this music driving around. I had no frame of reference what the show was, and I was like, this, mu- this music rocks. Like, this is great. Like, what is this? And he's like, Cowboy Bebop. And I was like, oh, I, I have no idea. I have no, no not, idea what Not the is. style of music. What's it from? <laughs> uh, but, yeah. No, it looks great. I don't know. I... I've- don't want to say I wrote off Netflix, but for a while, I really wasn't paying attention to too much that they were putting out outside of Stranger Things or the random new season of Nailed It that would come up, because that show just <laughs> makes me happy to watch. Um, but this past month, with Halloween Horror Nights happening down here in Orlando, and one of the marquee houses for it was The Haunting of Hale House, based off of the first season of the Netflix show. Uh, last year we had Haunting of Bly Manor. I was like, okay, I've heard good things about this show. I'm excited to go to Horror Nights, but I need to know what it is. And watching that show just kind of brought me back into the Netflix original programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other night we actually watched uh, what's it called Crimson Peaks, the Guillermo del Toro, Tom Hiddleston ghost story uh, movie on Netflix. I don't know anything about Crimson Peak. One, I, I'm still... Oh, I saw that in the I saw it in the theater. Yeah, we uh, we watched that. Knockout, fantastic. Yeah, uh, Netflix is kind of showing me what they got now. Um, we watched the Haunting of Bly Manor a little bit after Hill House. Very good. A little bit different from Hill House, which I appreciated because you kind of needed a break from that. And then the creator just had a new show that came out two days ago, uh, Midnight, Midnight Mass, Mass, which is something that we're going to be watching, but you know, it's spooky season. This is the time of year where you got to watch like a ghost story or a horror movie every single night. Right. Right. Or yeah. something or something spooky. What else we got? Anything else in the news garden there? 
Uh, yeah, there's some news of uh, casting for a new movie coming out, and that is the Super Mario Brothers movie, where we're going to have Chris Pratt voice uh, Mario. You have uh, Charlie Day as Luigi. Um, the list of other people goes on and on. Um, but it looks like it's a hugely comedic... Um, Comedic cast, so I imagine it's going to be on the funny side of things. Um, I don't think they've said whether or not, it, I, and I doubt it'll be live action. I thought um, because I thought they the, it was an animated. Well, I don't know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I imagine it's animated because the two directors directed like um, Teen Titans Go, the movie, Teen Titans Go, the TV show. They've worked on a lot of animated stuff, so I imagine it's animated. Yeah, I would assume so. Uh, makes me sad that we're not getting Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo coming back for the sequel that everyone's been demanding for the past 35 years. Well, the sequel that is set up at the end of the movie. Obviously. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't follow Nintendo Direct stuff at all. I'm not a big Nintendo fan. I haven't been since I had an NES and then a Game Boy and a Game Boy Color. I've never owned any other Nintendo systems. No, that's like I had a Game Boy Advance. But for me, they've always just been that kind of handheld game. And I know there's some really cool looking stuff out on the Switch right now, but it's not something that I need. So I wasn't following the direct news, except I saw this story everywhere. Uh, yeah, it. I'm sure it'll be fun. Sure, it'll be fine. I'm not going to get yeah. upset about this like I was when I watched the original Mario movie. But and you're like, what is this? It's it was okay. I was just happy that they had Yoshi, but Yoshi was like a weird little raptor. I don't know. I, I don't think I can open up those wounds again. Oh no! Is that why they casted a Chris Pratt because he worked with raptors before? It's probably he's the only one that can keep the help in check. Checks out. All I know is that Anna, I had to look up who Anya Taylor-Joy is, and she's the woman from uh, Queen's Gambit. She, so she's oh, getting, okay. So she's going from chess to Mario. Again, Netflix. Queen's Gambit was really good. Haven't finished so, it, but I liked it. Keegan-Michael Key is Toad. Okay. Weird. <laughs> um, and Charles uh, Marionette, who actually does the video game voice for that's mario. mario right yeah 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 okay that's one of the things like i i don't remember his name but i know i've seen him in so many things that it's kind of sold as like whoa wait until you see who this guy voices and when i look at him, i'm like oh that's mario because i've seen him in every other listicle that's kind of like this mm-hmm. so there it is um i think that's uh, anything else in the news garden uh, oh, Netflix, talking about Netflix, they bought up the rights, and talking about families owning stuff, they now own the exclusive rights to do everything from the Raw Doll uh, library oh. b- books. So, like, Gremlins, like Glass Elevator. Well, Glass Elevator, yeah, all the Wonka stuff, the okay. uh, Witches, uh, Matilda, uh, James and the Giant Peach, any kind of uh, work that they want to adapt, they 
and, do and even out. some of his stuff that isn't uh, kids' book too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they they have their full library. Uh, they had an agreement before, and that was to bring together uh, to bring out the uh, movie adaptation of the live action musical Matilda, um, a new edition, new take on BFG, and one other thing that I'm forgetting. Uh, infiltrating the beds of wives of Axis Powers. <laughs> you guys know about that? Roll Dolls yeah, he... like secret uh like how to manual? No, it was uh he was <laughs> like a, a member of like guide? the British intelligence a- agency that had like a f- I can't remember what their name was, but it was like the fellowship of gentlemen doing unseemly things or something like that where like he would infiltrate <laughs> like the uh empty beds of women whose husbands were like higher ranking like Axis power generals to get their secrets and then like take them back to like the British military. So, this is a real thing. I'm not making this up. So basically yeah. seduce the wives of Nazi officers to see if the Nazi officers like to talk to their wives and get <laughs> about military secrets. Get those military secrets and bring them back to HQ. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was they talk to their wives. They talk as if their wives aren't there and the uh, wives are listening. Yeah. Well, that's so weird what? because, I, you know, you always ask and you always tell your wife how your day was and like what you did. Do you tell her all of your Nazi secrets, though? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't have any Nazi secrets to tell. I'm not Bruce I Wayne. Don't know. Text, text Kate. See ya. <laughs> um... I lie to my <laughs> wife constantly. And just about stuff like, oh, what'd you have for lunch? Uh, the chicken fingers. And I had, like, spaghetti. Like, it's like, there's, there's no need for this lie. weird thing to lie about. You shouldn't lie well, John, to your wife. You should lie on your wife. And but anyways, John, uh, I hope you don't lie about your next beer. <laughs> I, 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 Anyways, the weird Muppet noise. I know was, you're trying to make a sex noise there, but it was more like, Wauga, like you, 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 you stepped on a horn. Uh, guess what? I'm not good at sex noises or at sex, so hey. <laughs> one time you mimicked a street, uh, street <laughs> crossing. That's the sign. only thing I can do. Perfect. All I think I can do. Uh, Chris, were you throwing it to me for my next beer? Yeah, I was trying to throw it to your beer. I was trying to keep this uh, keep this on track a little bit. You're trying more. to keep this sex train going, and it's uh, it's derailing. Uh, from Torch and Crown, I am drinking their Oktoberfest beer called Hybra. And uh, it's 5.5%. This is nice. Um, it has that little bit of a drier mouth out that you want to keep going back and keep drinking it. It's got like a the maltiness. I don't know if it's the yeast, but it's got like a little bit of like a spice to it. Like I wouldn't say it's like nutmeg or cinnamon, but it has this really nice malty spice that really works great with it this is excellent um yeah i'm i'm digging these guys i would hands down buy both of these beers again and also check out what else they do um this is excellent what brewery is this from again 
Uh, Torch and Crown out of New York City. Mm. New York City? Does this one also have something written on the side? Uh, no, it just looks like that. There is something written, right? I mean, it says, highbrow and lowbrow. That's our game. Like us, these two beers aren't fussy. I guess they have another beer called lowbrow. Huh. Keep an eye out for that one, then, maybe. Uh, yep. Paul, are you drinking a Oktoberfest beer? No, I'm not. So go ahead. Okay, well, then I'm going to go next. Um, we've had beers from Captain Lawrence on the show before. We've had beers from them just in our day-to-day lives, and I haven't gone back to them recently because I just remember not being wowed by them with whatever I had last. And it was during the time where I wasn't checking into stuff on Untapped, so I can't even tell you how long ago it was. But when I saw this beer on the shelf and I was like, okay, I have to get a Oktoberfest-style beer to have alongside John, uh, Paul, what goes best with beer? Uh, walk in the park. No, no. Pre- uh, God, pretzels. Not, pretzels. 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 I should not have asked Paul. Um, because no. from Captain oh, walk in the park. Sn- Snyder's of Hanover, I have Snyder oh. beer. Um, oh. This is a pretzel marzen, and this is actually brewed using uh the bite-sized Snyder pretzels, and it's there. It's so bizarre. Um, it kind of has that nice like buttery saltiness on like the tongue. It's like I had just eaten a handful of like little mini pretzels and then you kind of like smack it up. So like, Hmm, buttery, salty. I could use a beer to chase this down with what it's the beer that I just drank. Uh, this is ridiculous. It's also ridiculously good. Like I'm actually loving this. I only bought one can of it cause I wasn't sure how it was going to be. We've been burned previously with doing like, weird inspired beers um but this is fantastic i kind of wish i had picked up the full four pack oh you can always go back and get this and who what brewery did you say this was from um, captain lawrence captain lawrence yeah mm. they have another one too that came out alongside it they didn't have it at my beer store but it's called um pretzel fruit and it's a sweet and savory goza style mashup uh that's done with passion guava and <laughs> pretzels Um, if they had that there, they didn't have it when I grabbed the Snyder beer, uh, pretzel Marzen. I, I would pick that one up too, because you know what? This is just a weird thing that I feel like I shouldn't like. And I feel like it's being sold just on that kind of novelty. But man, as I'm talking that just like nice buttery richness is coming back in. It's got that nice, like coarse salt feeling on my tongue. Like I'm, I'm loving this beer. Like I... If you can find it there, because I know you can get Captain Lawrence stuff, check it out. Like it's bizarre, but damn if it isn't tasty. Yeah, I'm. I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to look for it. I'm going to. I'll talk. To, I'll talk to my distributor and see if I can bring it in. Paul, are you drinking a pretzel beer? No, I'm drinking a milkshake beer though, and this is from Southern Tears Shake Shop. This is their uh, milkshake IPA, Blueberry Whirl. Um. And this is kind of, you know, I, I was kind of off of milkshake IPAs for a little while, but then I had that strawberry one last week. I listened to the, our last episode. It was pretty fun. Uh, you'll like it. Uh, so I'm like, okay, you know what? My favorite berry is blueberry. It has that kind of uh, little earthiness to it, sweet but still earthy. 
kind of a little taste like dirt a little bit. Uh, blueberries, like it. Um, but this has that fake blueberry taste to it. Almost, I'm almost getting a Smarties, almost energy drink kind of vibe flavor from it, and I'm not loving it. Uh, will I drain pour it or stop drinking it? No, because I spent hard-earned money on it, and I don't have that kind of willpower to just say, just because I don't like it doesn't mean I'm not going to drink it and just take in those calories anyways. Um, 6.5% alcohol by volume. It does come in the four-pack of the 16 ounces, and I have three more of these. I don't hate it enough to be, like, just looking to give away the other three, but I don't love it as much as that strawberry one. Um, uh, CBW. Southern Tier put out a strawberry one before this that I didn't super like, but before that they did a vanilla and the orange creamsicle, mm-hmm. and Chris and I raved about that orange yeah. creamsicle. I was uh, let down by the strawberry, and the blueberry was one of those ones I was just going to, whenever I get around to it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it, it. Paul, that beer might be better served pouring it, too, to mix mm-hmm. everything up, because you probably have had some things settle in that can. Um, I think you probably would do the, the the beer a better service pouring it. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought the whole point of getting into the tall boy can was so I could drink it right from the tall boy can. That I didn't need to do all that other stuff and dirty a dish. Well, if you're going to do that, then store your beer uh, upside, upside down. down. Okay. Hmm. Fun fact. Thanks for the tip. Good yeah. Well, speaking about tips, John, I'm looking for Paul to tip us off to what comic book he's looking forward to coming out this week, October 6th, 2021. That's or however, right. However you say it, I don't. That's close I, enough. I, I, I have a strong feeling, guys, that we're going to be talking about issue number one, probably on our next episode, right? Next episode, we're probably going to do our September look back. Yeah, probably. Uh, so, of Marvel's comics, Dark Ages... Number two is coming out this week, though, and I'm looking forward to it. I actually did read number one already, even though it's not right before us recording. Uh, who knew I could do homework in, right before, you know, not right before class starts? Not me. Uh, <laughs> it's just a fun, uh, the first issue was the fun setup of, like, a basically, I'm spoiling it because you guys haven't read it, but we'll talk about it. A celestial waking up at the center of the Earth, and the heroes go to stop him. Some heroes die, but uh, in order to stop the celestial, an EMP pulse is released and takes out every, all power, all electricity on the planet. So, none of the, no, uh, tech, no advanced technology works. And what good is Mr. Fantastic now? He can still stretch and be really smart and devise other things, but he's going to be very sad because Ben Grimm is dead. Oh, no. Why would you? Well, now we're not, now I'm, not, I'm going to refuse to read the book. I told you I was spoiling it. Told you. You could take any headphones off. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's where we're at. We basically... The last page was that kind of reveal that hey, the heroes, the heroes are still out there doing the good deeds, doing the good works, but now without electricity. So, welcome to the steampunk future. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to a book from DC Comics, and this is Are You Afraid of Dark Side? Uh, this is their Halloween anthology book coming from DC. Um, you got about, I think, about eight different stories in this book. Um, and uh, we've read these in the past and liked them. We've read them in the past and hated almost every single story in it. Um, nothing beats that one that had, like, um, what was it, Damien and Supergirl... He was trick or treating, and then they team up or what? I, that was a full issue. Yeah, was that a full issue? Yeah, right over here. I'll go get it. <laughs> you keep. Uh, but we've we've had a couple of those anthology books, and I'd probably say it's probably like ten years ago that we really enjoyed, um, and we keep chasing that. And I'm hoping this is uh, gonna be good, especially for nine ninety nine. Uh, that's that's the problem with that anthology book because they tend to be very hit or miss, and sometimes the ones that hit don't hit enough to make up for the ones that are miss or the ones that are just kind of meh. Um, and that's something that I feel like I've been running into when I've been buying those eighty-page anniversary specials for all the DC superheroes because everybody's celebrating their eightieth anniversary currently. Um, some of those stories just don't nail what they're supposed to, but, you know, there are usually at least, like, one or two in there that you come out of being like, oh, you know what, I really enjoyed this take on the character, this story, uh, this creative team. Like, it's just sad that they don't always just be like, yep, you know what, 10 bucks worth that buy-in price. Uh, I'm hopeful, though. I'm always hopeful. I'm sorry, yeah. this issue is so old that Damien doesn't look like Damien. You know, on the cover or in, in the issue. Well, he I'm looks pretty like... sure that's Tim Drake on the cover there. Because this is Batman uh, Superman. This was before Damien existed. Oh, okay, maybe. Okay, so maybe that wasn't a the issue that I'm thinking of. This isn't the issue. I'm sorry, guys. Maybe that was just a... Okay. Oh, guys, remember was... when Knowing came out? I don't. I do remember when Push when Push came out, though. Oh, yes. Good old 7-2-2009. Remember like it was yesterday. Um, much like I remember picking up issue number six of this book, because I'm picking up Magic the Gathering number seven, uh, written by Jed McKay, art by Ignuara. Uh, I'm digging this book. I know you guys weren't too sold on it when we did it for the monthly look back a couple months ago, but I'm liking just playing in the Magic the Gathering multiverse. I like seeing these characters. I like being on these different planes. Uh, and I attribute all of this to the fact that I've been playing Magic the Gathering Arena pretty much nonstop since they were doing the open beta for it like two, two and a half years ago. Uh, it's part of my daily routine now. I wake up in the morning, I'll play Magic before I get home, or if I don't... Before I go to work, excuse me. I'll play it on my lunch break at work, or I'll play it when I get home from work, just to like knock out my daily quests. Uh, this is a universe I'm happy to be in, and I'm still enjoying this story, even though it's not, you know, quote-unquote, canon to the actual Magic the Gathering lore. Uh, much like the book that we're going to be talking about for our main topic... 
sometimes it's just fun to get those characters in a story. It doesn't matter if it's the story, but a story sometimes is just as nice because it can still be really well done. And I feel like that's what's happening right now with the Magic the Gathering comic. Sure. I'm just saying I'm impressed by your your ability to stay on something every single day. Like, I have a hard enough time just keeping up with the normal hygiene every single day. Um, I was going to say a big chunk of it was due to the fact that it, I really got into it um, just because it was like, oh, you know, I need to do my daily quest so I can get my gold and then get my rewards. But then also just being stuck in quarantine uh, last year made me just be like, okay, well, not now I have to play it. Um, but I did not shower every day when I was stuck at home because, you know. You don't need to shower every day. I'm That's what I'm saying, John. It's just me. It's a weekend and you didn't strain, do any kind of strenuous labor around the house. You don't need to shower. It's fine. Why are you showering off? You didn't build a sweat. You were lazy. You were just sitting around reading. What, unless you read really strenuously, like dramatically in some fashion. And now, a dramatic reading from Hellboy and the BPRD, colon, The Secret of Chesbro House, page six, panel two. Sorry, Madam Zapparelli. I'm not interested in a carnival sideshow act. Let's just get down to business. Paul, make your, Paul, make your uh, sex noise. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, well, after that, Hellboy would definitely need a shower. Uh, uh, uh. That was 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 a dramatic reading from BPRD, The Secret of Chesbro House, page six, panel two. If you want to see that panel, make sure you follow us over on our Instagram page where I put all those panels up literally right after we say it. So it's going to be up within like the next five minutes. Uh, but guys, I gotta I gotta stop before I can do that because I gotta get my next beer. Yeah, Paul. And that next beer is actually coming from Collective Arts Brewing, and this is part of their Jam Up line. Uh, Jam Up's all dry hop sours, and this is the Jam Up Pineapple and Tangerine. And this definitely has more of that dry hop and the tangerine than I'm getting from the pineapple because it's just like a real. Tart, like rindy bitter on it, and I'm sh- sure that's more from the dry hopping than the actual fruit in the sour. But I'd like a little bit more of that pineapple, just kind of come through with that nice, like sweet pop. But I'm not getting it. Uh, 5.2% ABV. This is fine. Um, I just wanted to get a sour to have alongside John. I have another sour in my fridge that I probably should have prioritized over grabbing this one because that one is like Ooh. a snow cone sour. I th- Yeah, uh, it's got like kiwi, strawberry, and I think lime flavor to it. Um, I don't think I need to get any more of the jam ups because they all have that same dry hop profile to it that really detracts from whatever fruit that they're souring. Nothing wrong with dry hopping your sours. I do enjoy a dry hop beer, but I'm really looking for a bigger fruit forward, like citrus pop that's just kind of being washed over. 
And John, you took a sip. I took a sip. You thought about it, and then you put your nose in your glass. So what do you got? Uh, I'm drinking from Resurgence Brewery. This is their peach pie sour. Uh, This is part of their pie sour line. They've done um, a key lime, I believe, a cherry, and I think they did another one. But this is their peach. Um, And this is nice. This has got really, really tight bubbles on it. And I wasn't expecting that out of it. Um, But the peach is there. It's a really nice... Peach, Paul, it reminds me of the peach preserves that we had uh, uh, over the week, last weekend together. Um, just just picture just Paul and I just sitting with a, a jar of peach preserves, sticking our fingers in and oh, eating it. Just uh, eating it. <clears throat> right out of the But jar. this is a really nice peach. It's not super overpowering, but the peach has got a nice pop to it. Um, this is excellent. Um, 5%. Very low ABV night for me. Um, I don't think anything's over five and a half that I had. And um, no, this is nice. This is excellent. Paul, you're drinking a beer that my wife and I said, I don't want to drink this. Let's just pour it out. Wow. Oh, you guys have such such restraint, such willpower. Uh, this is the second time I'm drinking this. This is Stone Yard Brewery's. Rubino's Italian Food Markets Cornoli Cream Ale. One pint, 7% alcohol by volume. And this is a big punch of sweetness. And it's like a, it's a vanilla-y, nondescript kind of cream soda sweetness. And that's it. It is so over the top with that sweetness, too. It's not, it's not, the thing is, like, Oh, go ahead. It's not Sorry. like balanced. It's not any other flavor. It's just like sweet. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what I was having a problem with the, with the blueberry world too, where it was just that fake blueberry taste, and that was about it. Uh, and with this, the can has cornolis, you know, with uh, chocolate chips on them, and and, and with the uh, ricotta cheese that's you know whipped, and you know with that. With the powdered sugar, this is just a nondescript vanilla-y kind of flavor to it. I don't get any kind of, like, biscuity kind of malt to it, you know, to kind of represent the shell or any kind of chocolate malt to represent the chocolate chips on the cornoli. It's just... I think that's just cream ales in general. Like, they're kind of limited just by the base beer that they can't support a lot of flavor. It's an ale brewed with real cornoli chips, milk sugars, and natural flavors added. Yeah, it's all I'm getting is the natural flavors added. Um, it says keep cool, drink fresh. I am not keeping my cool, and I do not. It's only a couple weeks old. Cornoli. Yeah, it's it's probably I'm, from the beginning of September. I because I had it for Labor Day. I'm not. I'm not happy with spear. Uh, it makes it's going to make me think twice about picking up another ship, Stoneyard. I will brewery. say, Stoneyard for the most part, their dessert beers have been excellent, and they did a oh an almond custard cream ale that was dynamite, Ooh. delicious. That's why so don't judge don't judge Stoneyard's dessert beers by this beer. I did pick this up, honestly, because uh, one of our friends, uh, one of my friends, Katie, uh, of Eric and Katie fame, 
uh, her favorite, she doesn't like cake. Except for the, like, a cannoli cake that she gets. And I'm like, oh, there's a cannoli beer. Maybe, you know, if we're hanging out for our birthday, I'll bring over the cannoli beers. You know, because she's enjoyed, like, uh, the Young's Double Chocolate. Yeah, Young's Double ch- Double Chocolate Stout. No, it, they did make, and they also had the sticky toffee sticky pudding. Sticky toffee. And there was banana the, bread. The banana bread? Yeah. She enjoyed all three of those. So I'm like, oh, this the cannoli cake. This is a desserty beer. I've heard good things about Stoneyard with their dessert beers. It, this would be fun, you know, as a gag, you know, not as a gag, but, you know, if we're hanging out and just, you know, with friends and she likes the cannoli cake, maybe this would be fun to, you know, to share and, you know, hang out. Bought the four pack. Uh, didn't get to, didn't end up hanging out with her for her birthday or anything. So I'm like, ah, I might as well crack one open. Drank it, wasn't that impressed, but I bought it and I wanted to talk about it on the show because I was disappointed in it. And I wanted John to talk me off the ledge of writing off Stone Yard. So thank you, John. No problem. I wouldn't wreck anything else, recommend anything else really from that brewery, but their dessert lines are pretty good. Except for the cannoli. Except for the cannoli. Stay away. Stay away. It's not good. Uh, but something... Take the gun, leave the cannoli. Uh, something that I think that uh, people should read, and I'm looking forward to, to continue to read uh, what Sean Murphy is doing in the Batman world, um, or in his own little Batman sandbox that he's created here, is uh, we are going to review uh, Batman White Knight from uh, Sean Gordon Murphy. He wrote and drew this book. Uh, this is eight issues from the 2018 series. And uh, this book follows uh, kind of a what-if um, Joker uh, became sane, uh, went with one of his identities of Joker, and what if he showed the world that Batman is more of a villain and Gotham doesn't need him and how, uh, how he can make things right and what he can do. Um, and Sean Gordon Murphy takes from a lot of previous Batman stories and worlds. Um, he has little connections to Batman, the animated series on how he draws Harvey Bullock. You see the, you see all of the Batmobiles at one time. Um, and he really tells a very interesting story in a story that I thought Chris might have the view of, uh, it's just like another Joker story, but it's not just another. Uh, I really enjoyed this and I kind of equate this to more of like, that Scott Snyder style of Batman, um, not just in the writing, but also the artwork, uh, Scott Snyder working with Greg Capullo, but then, uh, Sean Murphy doing all of his own artwork. Uh, if this had been like the follow up arc to like all of that Batman stuff that we had loved Scott Snyder doing, I would have loved it. I would have not, fallen off of Batman probably, but then they started doing like all the death death metal. What was it like the death metal, like the dark metal, mm-hmm. like all of that stuff that I was just kinda like, okay, I don't need to to do that. 
Um, and I think every time I was like, this should have just been the next Batman arc. Something different would pop up or be mentioned in it. Or it's like, no, this is definitely outside of that actual continuity. Um, which I don't want to say detracted from the story, but it kind of made me be like, oh, well, now, now it could be because this story is so well done and so well written and drawn and executed. Uh, as soon as I got to the end and I saw that there was a sequel series and the sequel <laughs> series had Azrael in it, I was like, oh, baby, I am on board. Um, initial thoughts before we get any further into it. Yeah, I absolutely loved this book. And again, there's some uh, bonus content on the back, like sketch work, variant cover gallery. Uh, but when I saw that this was like 200 pages, I was like, Oof, John coming through with that big boy. But then as I was reading, I'm like, oh, this is actually like reading really quick. And then you look at the pages and you're like, no, there's a lot of detail in that artwork. It's almost bendest levels of wordiness at some points, but it just has such a good flow to it that it didn't feel like a big read at all. Um, and I attribute all of that to just Sean Murphy on his own because he he knocked it out of the park on this one. Uh, yeah, I'm. I just want to say, like, I forget what book it was. I think it was Batman with Scott Snyder that I first saw a really recognized Sean Murphy's art, and I was like, whatever this guy draws, I will be there because I just really love his style and how he breaks down panels, but just his his art style. I love it. I do have to say, I did not like his version of Killer Duck Croc. You know, it. he looks like a, you know, Killer Croc has that whole, like, duck speak. Yeah, it's more like a beak. Yeah, and I'm like, who is this? What is it? That's Killer Croc. Like, it, it, it kind of threw me. Uh, but other than that, I thought the art style was great. You know, he was able to also, Bane looked weird, like with that one weird with his weird mask. I mean, like, he's just wearing that a mask. Yeah, it, but it wasn't I, like I the liked Bane his mask. mask. Um, yeah, I mean, it's black and white, and it's got it's like more luchadori. It's got like gold inlay in it and everything. It took me a second, maybe a little bit more to like try to recognize Bane because of that, and also Killer Croc because I'm so used to the just the regular like human kind of face just. With the, you know, scales kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the art. You know, he did a great thing with, oh, especially when he was introducing Jack Napier to always have, like, a Joker shadow behind him. Yeah. So he does that with Bruce Wayne, too. Yeah. Yeah. As well. Just so you knew who that character was when they were out of, co- you know, quote-unquote costume. I thought that was clever. Uh, that fades away a little later on, you know, as you get deeper into the issues. Overall, uh, I have to say that first issue, I was hating this book. I was just like, oh, he's working through like uh, like a Jarek Chauvin, like, uh, you know, police brutality kind of thing. Especially this week when they, they announced that um, Derek Chauvin is going to, is appealing his, his uh, conviction. For the killing of, um, oh my goodness, why can't I remember? George Floyd? George Floyd. Thank you. Um, like, it was just like, 
ooh, and then I'm reading this book, which is about Batman, you know, doing something that Batman wouldn't do. So, uh, you know, he's take. I think he took some, you know, and that's for the story. For the sake of the story, you know, I kind of got over it as I'm reading it. Like, the shoving of the pills down Joker's face. And, like, every uh, every time there's an argument, like, somebody, like, the argument ends with somebody punching somebody else in the face. Like, I'm like, uh, it's it's just how that he's telling the story. Like, when Nightwing punches Jack Napier in the face, like, for no reason, other than being like, he punches him and he's like, I'm not doing it for you. It's like, couldn't you just yell that at, that at him instead of punching him first? But everybody's a little bit more overviolent, even the heroes. But is that his take on police brutality? I don't know. This book but, also was... St- he Like, 2016 is probably when he started working on this book. So it's not anything to do with anything in the political view that just recently happened. Uh, I think there were it's, murders. It's, yeah, there were well, police no, killings existence for a while. Before it's, no, 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 I know, it's, it's been in existence, but... I mean, Paul was talking a lot more of, like, things that just had recently happened. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm just saying, it, that might be why it's top of mind for me right now, like, yeah. when I was yeah. reading that first issue. As I got on through in the story, that all kind of disappeared. It was, like, the setup. Maybe he was working through those kind of things, like, because he was saying, as you know, in that first issue, he drops SJW, you know, and then in uh, a couple issues after that, like by issue three, he actually calls it out. Oh, social justice warriors, you know, like, oh, wait, this is political grandstanding. Oh, is it a protest or a riot? Like, is he working through it on himself, you know, through this Batman lens? And like, you know, we, the police, they need to regain the trust of the people they're policing. Oh, why isn't there police in the poor town, poor section of town? It seems like Sean Murphy is touching on those subjects. Sean Murphy woke. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, but but and he after that first issue when we get through through that, and I kind of you know me as a reader got through that, like where the story was working and what world I was in, and then just enjoyed the story as it was happening. I didn't feel like it was ham pisted or. You know, it was constantly crushing down on me. And I was afraid that's what was going to happen after that first issue. If we read the first issue as a look back alone, I would have never touched a second book. Because I'm like, no, this is too real. Like, I, I read comics for escapism. I read the news. Yeah. I I feel like I'm res- a responsible adult who, you know, takes part in the political process and in a reasonable way. Um... But then, you know, the story actually evolved and was a lot better because of it. Yeah, and I think one of the things is you have um, Batman who, in the end, is human. And he's got his own stuff that he's working through with, in this book, Alfred is dying and he's trying to help save him. He's got that stress going on. He has a person who's hitting his breaking point. And he's a person that does hold Joker. He's in this book. He believes that he killed Jason Todd Mm -hmm. and they never found his body. He doesn't know where Jason Todd is and he holds that against him. And even Dick says like, 
Jason Todd was before me and Batman always kept me at arm's length. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, he's my father, but there's definitely something that broke in him when, when Jason died and I, I can't get a certain, I can't get a certain closeness to him, but yeah. yeah um, I, I kind of, I want to touch on this Dick Grayson uh, relationship with Bruce because I was like, when I was, you know, as you're first reading it, you're like, Oh, this is like a new Nightwing. Like he just broke away. He was Robin. Something happened. And this is him still like being like, I don't agree with how Batman's handling things. And then you read that, Oh, Jason Todd came before Dick Grayson. And that's one like, of the the breaks that I had around like, okay, well now they wouldn't be able to do this story in the current continuity. So I get it. Um, but that didn't detract from my story, uh, my reading of the story, because so much of it does kind of circle back in the end that even as there were things popping up in the story, I'm like, well, Bat- Batman would, wouldn't let that happen. Bruce Wayne would know about the fun to repair all the damage. No, he did. It was all solely funded by Bruce Wayne owned companies. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I think it does ask a lot of questions or make you ask a lot of questions as a reader, but then it knows like, well, no, people are going to be aware of this. And I think that was kind of one of the things that they kind of had to fudge just for story's sake, um, just to kind of show that break between, you know, Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne from the get-go, because like I said, like at this point in the story, everyone's kind of just had it with Bruce Wayne shit. Like he's just, He's been going for so long, like, there's so many people in that crossfire that it's not hard to believe that everybody would be pushed to that breaking point unless they show you, like, no, everyone's everyone's over it now. Um, and I really enjoyed how he wrote the Joker slash Jack Napier in this. Like, you really felt like this was a guy who had been kind of lost in the insanity that was the Joker. And when you have those moments towards the end, when he's fighting between and trying to keep control and not let the Joker out, um, you feel for him. Like you're just like, man, yeah, you can see that he's, he's trying to, to, to keep that in. And, and the Joker in this too is is really well written versus a lot of the other versions of Joker we've gotten recently. Even in the 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 80th the anniversary, three, oh yeah, <laughs> that uh, the three Jokers, like um, even that really bad Joker movie. Um, but it's just, I think it was done really, really well, and then. Um, and then the the Harley Quinn, the uh, the good Harley yeah, Quinn, well, not Har- Harley Neo Quin- Quinzel, not uh, Mar Marlene uh, Dawes Rains? or something Dawes or something like that. Yeah, um, who isn't? I mean, she's definitely like a version of uh, who is the new Joker girlfriend? Oh, punchline. Punchline, um, yeah. even like her outfit with the purple when she becomes Neo Joker, it, I, it feels like. So sidebar, I do like that costume a lot. I'm like, oh, this is good. And 
the panel that that costume's like unveiled in it, where like she refers to herself as like a writer, I'm like, oh, like that's a solid like Joker offshoot villainous name. And then when she started going by Neo Joker, I'm like, call yourself Riot. Like that's that's solid. Yeah, Neo Joker is a bad name. Uh, uh, really she's the Neo this- Joker of Neo Tokyo. <laughs> Um, but I like that moment of Jack Napier not realizing that Harley got replaced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, when did this, like, when did this happen? Why didn't I notice? And you're like, well, you're a egomaniac psychopath. Like you're a narcissist. Why would you, you just mm-hmm. expect that blonde is me. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I enjoyed every bit of this book and again like that beginning is a little it's a little rough and um i think because but it's it's rough because it needs to be like it's like that jumping into the the cold pool not just dipping your toe into it because you need to buy into this whole universe that he's setting up as part of like that black label imprint like i think like i was saying at the beginning it needs to be separate because this could work as just a regular Batman arc. Like I wish this had been done in just the proper continuity because it's so strong. And if my biggest fault for it is like, this story doesn't matter because it's a fake story. That's fine. Like, cause I love this and I'm so excited to read the spinoff. Uh, one of the biggest things, you know, we're talking about, you know, whether or not this works as a, the Batman story that we're reading now. This feels more like the, uh, what's his name? Uh, Frank Miller. It, this isn't Batman. This is the goddamn Batman. You know, when Batman, all-star Batman was happening, like with him jumping, going, you know, that it's felt very similar in this first issue where he's doing yeah. a chase and construction workers are just jumping out of the way and he's firing non-lethal rounds like in the all-star you know, Frank Miller, all-star Batman. And I'm like, I'm, that's not my Batman. Like in Batman jumping on the roof and tearing up the city and almost hitting a person and knocking over a security guard. I'm like, eh, this isn't my Batman. Well, so again, we didn't say this up at the front, but there's always spoilers in effect for these reviews. <laughs> um, did it redeem it for you a little bit when he does have that sit down with Jim Gordon where he's like, no, he was right. I was pushed to yeah, my yeah. limit, and I was taking it out on everybody. Like, and I that, shouldn't have gone that far. And when he says, yeah, he actually enjoyed, like, beating these criminals. So, like, I was taking vengeance and punishment. Yeah. No, it, it did redeem itself. As I read through it more, that first issue, I'm just saying, if you're reading the series, or you pick up just that first issue, and you're going to judge it just on that, it's like the shipyard... uh Granoli beer uh, of that dessert line. Like, get something else. Like, get to issue two, get to issue three. There's eight issues of it. Um, and it gets a lot. And then let the story tell its story and just be okay with the story it's telling and go along with the ride. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a great Elseworld story. I would never want this to be in continuity because of those problems that I, I the quote unquote problems that I say it has is that it has but it's good it's an enjoyable read 
Or, uh, yeah. And uh, Chris, did you enjoy uh, Duke uh, Thompson popping up in it? Uh, Duke Thompson. The best version of Duke so far. I was super excited to see that because, again, I subjected everyone to reading the Batman and the Signal, like, three-issue miniseries, even though I think we only did the first one for Look Back. But then we read the Batman Presents the Signal. Um, I said it in that monthly Look Back review for the Signal book. I like seeing those comic book characters pop up. And I think Sean Murphy did a great job with him kind of being that neighborhood hero where he's, you know, he's just out there looking out after his block. Like, yeah, shit gets bad over there, but, you know, he's got an agreement with the cops that they can look the other way on some things because, you know, he's looking the other way on other stuff. Um I did like that, and I like once they kind of set up the uh, GTO organization, you kind of get those matchups of the characters where it's like, well, yeah, okay, Duke's going to be one of his lieutenants, you know, out there on the streets. Like, weird partnerings, like, you know, him and Bullock or him and, like, Montoya. Like, I, I liked seeing that kind of stuff because it's, paying homage to that bigger universe. And at the time that this came out, like Duke hadn't been the signal yet. I think at that point it was still just him being a character in the, we are Robins series. Um, I don't have like solid dates for that. So I may be wrong. Um, but no, that, that did make me happy and was something that I did want to bring up in it. Uh, even though this Duke Thomas is, much bigger, much more of a badass uh, than, like, the current continuity version of it. And, like, the GTO stuff, um, one, Sean Gordon Murphy is a huge muscle car fan, so, of course, he names it GTO after the car. I was saying, Um, the cars did look really cool. Um, (laughs) But he also, like, um, the whole thing, like, Jack Napier says, like, if we get rid of Batman... And you take that $3 billion that spent a year on all the destruction that Batman causes, and you put that into a police force. Uh, if you put that into a police That's force that are going to be geared to stopping the crime in this city, like, you shouldn't need Batman anymore. And... Not only that, he says, like, Batman's got Kevlar that's lightweight, that can stop bullets and knives. Why hasn't he given that to the police force? Why is that something that, like, your guys are running around getting shot by criminals when he's running around on rooftops getting shot by criminals and not being killed? Like, he's got tech that he should share. Because the police force has been corrupt this whole time and they would use it for shakedowns? Partially, but this is I. I do like kind of where you're going. I was going to pull that thread a little bit more because I do like that moment towards the end from Napier where you get him being like, "Oh my god!" Like I thought I could control this, and I set up you know those other rogues. Like I created the monsters that have gotten out of control, and now I don't know how we get back on top besides just fighting it back just as violently and venomously. Like, I like that kind of twist of like, no, like maybe Batman's not wrong. And this is the only way that you can fight it. Uh, and I 
again, to circle back, like, I think that that's where they build this world and it builds into something so much bigger than what you're presented with at the beginning. Cause yeah, this is a Batman at the end of this rope and you're seeing Jack go through those exact same kind of growing pains. It just hasn't taken him decades to get to that point because he has that clarity from the drugs that, you know, Quinn created for him that he's like, no. Okay. Like, this is the only way that makes sense. I have to partner up with him. He's the only person that can bring this back to order. I was yeah. wondering, like, I was near the end uh, right before recording the episode, and John's like, oh, Paul, if you need to finish up, finish up. Because I was kept on wondering, uh, think there was going to be the twist where Quinn also, like, drugged Batman to make him, like, a little bit more ultra violent to push him to that limit to feed the pills to Joker at the very beginning because, like, once she was introduced and she was like so helping, you know, just along for the ride to help uh, Jack along. I'm like, oh, she's the one that was with there at the very that first issue that took the video. Like, she she has it set up. She somehow had the I don't know how, but maybe she was influenced on the pill those pills at some point, like. I, I kind of put those together, so I was thinking that she also somehow manipulated Batman, but we never got that. It was just Batman as a breaking point because Alfred was dying, and he was fighting with Dick Grayson the whole time, and, you know, life kind of sucks. Yeah, life kind of sucks. Um, something that doesn't suck, though, and this is... I actually got up... Excuse myself from the podcast silently. Uh, I got up, and I got my sketchbook that I take to comic book conventions because the very first sketch I actually got in here in 2005 was a Batman Mm. from Sean Murphy. (laughs) And thinking back to this, I was like, what does look like the Batman in that book? (laughs) Uh, Cause I was like, what did he do? Because at this point, like he wasn't a big name creator. So going back through, like searching stuff. It turns out he did a Batgirl story in the Batman Secret Files and Origins book that came out in 2005, which the other sketches I have right after it are dated 2005. So that's obviously when I got that, that I was just like, oh, I need to get a Batman sketch. And the interactions between getting this sketch and where we are now are so hazy. But I remember him mentioning, like, oh, first sketch, can I do something different with it? And I was just like, yeah, obviously, because it's not done on the actual page. It's flipped horizontal, so Batman's ears are actually on the flap of the cover. And it was one of those things, like, when I got him, like, oh, that's awesome. Like, that's so much cooler than just getting a Batman sketch. It's a Batman sketch sideways. Um <laughs> But that's, and that's the thing, because I do not have that Batman Secret Files and Origins books anymore. I don't remember what that Batgirl story was, but there was something in it that made me just be like, oh, he's at the convention. There's no way I need to get a sketch from him. Let me get a Batman, because he didn't do Batman again for like another 10 years after that. 
So I kind of want to read that book, but not enough to actually buy it on Comixology. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't have anything as cool as that. that that's okay. To, uh, to, to add. It's just but... one of those things, like, I, I got it in the moment, and it's always just been one of those things, like, I don't pull my sketchbook out that often. I haven't gone to an actual convention in years, so there hasn't been anything added to it in forever. But that sketch is one of those things that's just always ingrained in my mind because him as an artist was like, I'm going to do this sketch sideways onto the cover. <laughs> and not a big surprise um, that it just stuck with me because of that. Because going through this book, his artwork's very static compared to some other Batman artists that I really love. But there's still such emotion and energy in it that it still stands. Like, he's very good at his expression work, um, which I think gives this a lot of life, even though things do seem kind of static, a little bit more posed. Um, just going back through it right now, when... You know, Poison Ivy searching through Wayne Manor, and you, you see those tendrils of the plants coming through. Like, it's such great artwork. Um, and there's a hidden room that Bruce Wayne wanted to found. Yeah, another but, reason. But again, that's all. That's all an act because that's Bruce Wayne talking to Nightwing. You know, in the in the GTO, like that's all. That's all fake because yeah, Batman knew that stuff was there. Um, yeah, just like those little moments, like the one shot of um, Jack and Harley together after they've taken mind control of all the villains in Gotham. It's just that, like, it's just so cool looking. And he just has those, like, like page after page, you're like, oh, that's really cool. And, like, yeah, like when Neo Joker shows up, like, oh, yeah, that's... It's a, a good, really cool little, little costume. Like costume. Uh, my, I don't like the up and down lip thing. I wish it was I'm, just a smile. I'm okay with it being That's my one. like asymmetrical because it is a little bit more off-putting. It does kind of stand out more. Um, but that's just an artistic choice. Like, I'm just saying, had if just you're going to call smile, yourself the Joker, you need to have a well, she's, gotta have She's calling herself the Neo Joker. I liked it. All right. Hey, I'm saying I, I, like I can it. be wrong. It's fine. No, uh, you can have your own. You can have yeah. your own opinion. You can not like it, and I can. And yeah. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm just going to say I liked it. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite moments is when they're talking about setting up the EMP to disable the Batmobile, and they're like, "Well, we don't have anything that can compare to that." And then you got Dick Grayson just being like. Well, I know of something, but we're going to have to steal it. And then the next panel is like the Batman 89 Batmobile. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the panel after that is like Jim Gordon's like, okay, but I'm going to have to drive it. It's like, oh, that's really cool. And then it's just them taking out Batman. Like, I I really dug that moment. And I think that's just a great moment in an all-around great book. So, John... Thanks for bringing this to the table because I set it up at the front. I don't think it was actually recorded, but I slept on this series because when it was pitched, it was like, oh, well, it's an Elseworlds Batman. I 
I don't need to pick that up because I'm loving, you know, my detective comics or my Scott Snyder Batman. Like I don't, I don't need to read, you know, the fake story. Uh, how wrong I was. Can I just mention here, uh, since we finally mentioned take down a Batman and then he's in Arkham Asylum for a while. And then at the end of the book, he's like, Hey, I, you know, that time actually did me some good. Hey, take time to process your grief. Like, maybe that's the whole, like, theme of yeah. this, this whole story. Are you talking because, about the whole theme of Batman in general? Because he did general, not. Or also this story, because, like, Harley Quinn at the very end of the book is like, no, I needed Jack to come out to actually process what he was doing. And, like, I knew there was a good man in there underneath. If you could just take the time to explain. To, to process it all, and then Batman, like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, Alfred Death, I probably should have taken some time to uh, process that, huh? <laughs> that time in Arkham did, did me some good. Well, and I think, so, hey, no, everybody, just take some time. I think at that point, too, it also kind of leans into that dangling thread of Jason Todd, where he's always just assumed Joker killed him, but he never had anything solid to go off of it. And, and he that, never took time to process it. That was just a grudge that he was harboring. And he just got around to asking, well, what happened to him? It's like, oh no, like he regretted ever meeting Bruce Wayne. So I just let the kid go. And that was such a thorn in Batman's side and ultimately cost, you know, Bruce and Dick their relationship as well, because, you know, Bruce didn't, want Dick to get close to him because look what happened before. And that's one of those little twists in the story that I do like. I think in the current continuity, you like having Dick Grayson as that good son. And then things went wrong with Jason. So he's never going to have another Robin again. And then you get Tim coming in to kind of rebound that. I kind of like that little to steal a Marvelism that what if, you know, Jason Todd's the first Robin. It didn't completely sour Bruce from having someone else step into the Robin role, but it definitely did not do Dick Grayson any favors. But it, but it didn't seem to upset his relationship with Barbara at all. Or I can only assume it's Barbara because I don't think they ever said it in the book. I, I think that it's actually Barbara Gordon. They're very sloppy with calling each other by their like secret identity names, so like, they may have said it at some point, but now that you mention it, I, I don't remember. Because even when she goes to see Freeze, she's like, oh shit, I'm still in costume. But she's like, yeah, I re- you're, you're the lab assistant, of course you are, but you know, yeah. who cares? Um, you know, she's she seems to be in that role of like peacekeeper between the two. At all times, so I don't know. I, I that, think it was an interesting idea. Uh, interesting idea to take. Hey, take tag him with grief, much like Scarlet Witch, you know, showed us in uh, Wandavision. <laughs> well, just, it's okay. Uh, it's okay to deal with emotions and just take the time instead of just letting them boil under until you're force feeding a uh, a, man, a a crazy uh, person dressed as a clown uh, medicine. Oh, what you're doing? In- uh, yeah, well, because I finished my first beer, all of my beers like were like around four and a half to five percent. So I I got up and I poured out my next beer, which is also from Pontoon Brewing. 
uh, much mm-hmm. like my Check Yourself. And this is their take on the Black is Beautiful Imperial Stout that we've talked about multiple iterations of over the past year. Um, this one was actually a gold medal winner in the 2020 U.S. Beer Open Championship uh, for inaugural Black is Beautiful category. Oh, so they had a whole category based around the Black is Beautiful line of beers. Uh, this is Imperial Stout, brewed with cocoa, coffee, and vanilla. 10% ABV, so definitely the biggest boy I've had of the evening. And it hits all of those notes. It's just very nice, deep, smoky, rich. Ooh. For 10%, it's deceptively easy to drink. It doesn't have a lot of harsh bitterness from that uh, like coffee on it. It's the right amount of chocolate and vanilla to just like smooth it out. Um, definitely a higher rated beer for me than their Czech Pilsner, which again, very good. Really enjoyed it. Um, but this is, I kind of said it's not in the tall boy can, so I don't have more of it to drink. I don't think anyone else did another beer. No, but I got to show. No. I, I brought down my box of Gotham City Chronicle, which is a, a strategic board game that uh, I bought on Kickstarter while getting drunk on this episode, on a show. <laughs> it happens. Uh, it happens. It came up. And uh, because I'm like, well, J- Chris is such a fan of the of uh, the Signal, the Duke. Does he have a miniature of the Duke, of Duke, uh, a.k.a. Signal? And it turns out that I don't have a miniature of uh, the Signal either. <laughs> I just have a miniature of Duke, who's in this uh, box set. This came out in 2018. Uh, at least that's what the copyright says on the back of the box. And yeah, the character, uh, he's in this like full costume. But he's referenced as Duke, so it's before he got the name, the signal. The signal. So, uh, that's my little show and tell. There you go. Look up Gotham City Chronicles, a game that I'm still interested in playing. So, Paul, after reading uh, Batman White Knight, are there any characters you want to play more than you would have before, like Duke Thomas, aka the Signal? Uh, that Duke Thomas that we got in uh, White Knight is a lot cooler than the Duke Thomas I, don't, like, I think we got in the one-shot Secret Origins or Secret Five. Uh, that Duke Thomas had strong, like, Power Man vibes, which I I definitely, definitely did. Like, yeah, def- definitely, definitely did. Uh, but, John, uh, thank yeah. you for bringing this book to the table. Uh, we talked about it briefly up at the beginning. You're picking up Volume 2? Yeah, volume two will be our my next uh, pick for the trade and policy. Nice. And Paul, like you mentioned before, next week we're gonna be doing our monthly look back. So we're gonna be talking about a whole bunch of books. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta add mines to uh add mines you to the You do. Balls. I noticed that when I looked at the show notes. You hadn't put anything down on there yet. That's I, a I think lot I got of books. I think I got three books. I think Chris might need to cut some. I, I'll take a look at it because I haven't <laughs> bought any of my books for uh, the end of the month yet, so some of that stuff I could cut off. Uh, and hopefully you didn't cut us off before we got to this point. It's the episode wrap-up, guys, so thanks for listening. Uh, we do this because we like it. If you get a chance, make sure you rate and review us over on your podcatcher of choice. Follow us on any of those social media things. Email us over at bangboardcast.com Um, yeah, just... Yeah, if you guys want to come over and play Gotham City uh, 
Batman Gotham City Chronicles, just let me know. Email us. I got all the expansions. There's like 60 characters you can play as. There's a lot of scenarios in there. It'd be a lot of fun. Maybe it'll be fun. I don't know. Haven't played yet. 